0: Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and we're pre recording again for this episode to go live on Tuesday, May 29th. Joining me in the full HQ studio here in Old Town, Alexandria is Dan Klein. Hey, Dan, thanks for coming in. Hey, Vince, thanks for having me. Yeah. back really soon in the DC area. What's got you in town this time?
1: I just came to see you guys is probably the best way to put it.
0: Okay, so no family stuff?
1: A little bit. uh, Might see some family, but if I don't see them and then they see this show, then I'm in all sorts of trouble.
0: (laughs) 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 Fair enough. Um, Your timing is excellent because there have been two stories this week that I wanted to talk to you about for this show. and The first is the emergence of Comcast with a serious counteroffer for the 21st century, Fox assets that Walt Disney originally claimed in the big deal that they announced back in December.
1: Well, it's like a promise ring before an engagement. They haven't made an offer. Yes, <laughs> they've just said, "Hey, we're gonna make an offer, and it's contingent on the AT and T Time Warner merger uh, and sort of how the tea leaves read." On and that we'll one. get,
0: we'll so we'll get into all those details. Um, but before we break into the latest developments. Um, I want to take a minute to just recap the deal between Fox and Disney because there's some important context there as we compare that agreement to what Comcast might ultimately offer. Um, so late last year, uh, you know, for weeks there were reports that multiple companies, uh, including Disney, Comcast, Verizon, Sony, I think a few others, they were. Uh, expressing interest at the time in acquiring this basket of assets from Fox. And ultimately, Disney was the one to announce a deal. And uh, the key highlights from that agreement, so the deal would see Disney take over Fox's film and TV studios, including a large... Portfolio of franchises, a TV series, sports content, and other properties that Disney could use to um, to bolster their two streaming services that they're going to be rolling out to consumers. And on top of that, there are some cable networks like FX, National Geographic. Uh, that's also included, plus international TV assets, so Star in India and Sky in Europe. Those would give Disney a much bigger international presence and help diversify the business. And then the Fox Broadcast Network. Fox News, Fox Business, and a few other networks. Those would not be part of the deal. Um, they would get spun off into a separate company. So, in exchange for the, acts, uh, the assets that Fox shareholders would be giving up, they'd get 0.2745 shares of Disney for each share of Fox that they hold. So, at the time of the announcement, that amounted to a value of about 29.54 per share uh, for Fox investors in a 52 billion dollar transaction. And then. Uh, something else to keep in mind is that Disney CEO Bob Iger he would be delaying his retirement for a fourth time to <laughs> 2021 so he can head up uh,
1: the planned integration of the two businesses. His retirements are like Elton John. <laughs> like he, you really shouldn't believe it when he says <laughs> it's going to happen. And I think the one thing you didn't mention that that's pretty important as part of this is the movie franchises. Yeah. You know. So yes, there's also there, there's theme park applications. There's there's television shows, but. For Disney, one there's returning rights to some of the Marvel properties that mm-hmm. it already owns. Sure, which when you see the amount of money Avengers made, which is the biggest movie ever, following Black Panther, which was the biggest movie ever until Avengers came along, so you're you're gonna see Deadpool and the X Men and a lot of things that just make more sense at Disney than they might someplace else.
0: Yep, big opportunity there. And also something else uh, I didn't mention is you know Hulu. Uh, consortium of these different entertainment companies with the Fox stake, Disney, combined with what Disney already holds, it will have a controlling stake in Hulu, and that's
1: one more streaming service to, for them to leverage um, as they move more into it that It could space. actually change Disney's overall strategy to you know, having its services, and then with the live TV component of Hulu, theoretically, this gives Disney an end around, if the cable industry falls apart, mm-hmm. that it would control, which is... You know, an antitrust issue as well. Yeah. So
0: this is a huge deal. Uh, It would give Disney an even tighter grip over the more traditional Hollywood and entertainment worlds. And there are uh, two things investors can expect to accompany this deal. One, lots of regulatory scrutiny, and then two, is the potential for competing offers. So, on the regulatory side, uh, the business world, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, is kind is right now awaiting the final word on the AT&T Time Warner merger. So, the judge on that case should be ready to announce his decision by mid-June, and what that ultimately uh, what that decision ultimately is, should give us some clues as to what we can expect for any deal, regardless of who the buyer is, for the Fox assets.
1: It's also worth noting that Disney has to pay Fox 2.5 billion dollars if the deal breaks apart for regulatory reasons.
0: Yes, exactly. So the competing offer um, is very relevant right now, just because there's more uh, reports that uh, Comcast is in the final stages of preparing this this deal to bring to the table. They've lined up the cash, mm-hmm. is the, the important part. And various sources right now are claiming that the Comcast deal will be an all-cash transaction, so different than the stock deal that Disney offered. And it'll top out, in terms of value, over $60 billion. And that'll definitely raise the stakes. So keep in mind that this is not the first offer that Comcast has made to Fox. So before Disney and Fox announced their deal, Comcast made another, uh, their own offer, but leadership at Fox showed little interest because of a few concerns. One would be that Comcast would have a tough time getting the deal approved. And then apparently they also offered a relatively small breakup fee. So uh, Disney put up 2.5 billion dollars. I think Comcast was much a, a, lower than a that.
1: billion five. If it's for any reason other yes. than, than for either company to yep. walk
0: away from the deal, so the, and the breakup fee usually paid by the acquiring company if the deal fails to go through, especially for regulatory reasons. So um, you know Disney on the hook for 2.5 billion dollars. If, for example, regulators do end up blocking a deal between uh, Disney and Fox. So, looking ahead, until we have the official details behind this Comcast offer, there are a few things um, that we think listeners should keep in mind. So, first is that Fox shareholders should be pretty happy because, in their ideal world, Comcast will toss up a generous $60 billion plus offer that forces Disney to bump up their own deal. And then maybe some type of small bidding war ensues. We'll see what happens there. And then, second, regardless of who Fox decides to go with, there will definitely be those antitrust challenges. And both Comcast and Disney have businesses that overlap pretty significantly with Fox. So, there's no solely horizontal, vertical merger agreement here or argument to be made here. And then, uh, last thing, the eagerness, I think, with which both of these companies are going after the Fox assets should definitely uh, signal to investors how important and how much of a priority it is for these uh, traditional entertainment companies to essentially shore up their businesses as they compete with the upstart tech companies and platforms like Netflix. And it's gradual, but there's definitely a shift in how people are consuming their entertainment. And Comcast and Disney, I think they very much want to be... um, at the forefront of the developments there and have all the tools that they can at their disposal uh, disposal to address
1: the challenge. I think it's also possible that if there do uh, does appear to be regulatory resistance to this, that Fox gets split up, <laughs> that Disney buys some of it, Comcast buys some of it, maybe, you know, as I mentioned before, the the controlling stake in Hulu is something that regulators are going to be very concerned about. Maybe the you know these assets are worth more, as pieces, because it's going to be easier to get it through when two companies or even three companies are sharing them. Sure.
0: Okay. So we'll check in again uh, once we have the Justice Department decision from the AT and T Time Warner deal. That's something that we need to follow up on anyway. And then once uh, we have the official deal details from Comcast. So um, a really interesting uh, kind of developing story there. Um, Big implications for that industry. So, now let's uh, transition to our second and our main topic for today. So, two days ago, uh, Lowe's announced, uh, the home improvement retailer, they announced that they had poached Marvin Ellison to become the president and CEO starting in June or July. And Ellison's currently the CEO at JCPenney, but before then, he did spend 12 years working with the Home Depot as the head of their US stores. And before that, he had a long tenure with Target. So, this is definitely someone with a lot of retail chops. And not only that, um, they have He specifically has experience in the home improvement sector. So Ellison's coming on as the current Lowe's CEO, Robert Nyblock. He plans to retire after a 25 year stint with the company. And with all that in mind, um, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to talk about Lowe's, given how popular its rival, the Home Depot, is in the Motley Fool community and how well that stock has performed for investors up 135% in just the past five years, almost 700% if going back a decade. But Lowe's stock has not been a slouch itself uh, for those same five and ten-year periods shares are up 125 percent and 350 percent respectively and it's only if you look over uh, the more recent uh, short-term time frame that performance for Lowe's has been lagging home Depot and the broad market so given all the problems that we often talk about with <laughs> brick- and-mortar retailers uh, what they're struggling with you know online players weak foot traffic price competition the home improvement sector is been very strong and resilient in the face of
1: that. What jumped out to me in in reading uh, their their recent earnings report, sure, is only five percent of their business is digital. Yes, and but the Ellison hiring suggests that they realize what some of the the slow to digital players have realized. Uh, Costco would be a good example, that even the so called internet proof segments. Are becoming less internet proof. So, part of the reason you hire an Ellison is he has experience taking JCPenney, a antiquated company, and building it to an omnichannel capacity. Meaning that you can look at something at home, pick it up in the store, see it in the store, have it delivered to your home. And with home improvement, while you're probably not going to order drywall on their website. The day where you order a light fixture or something previously you that would have been a, a look and touch purchase, that is going to change. So this hiring really says, yes, we are immune to the internet for now. <laughs> but Fair we are but we are going to have to make some some slow changes. They again, nobody's gonna buy paint based on viewing it on a website unless they don't really care that much. Mm-hmm. But the day when they do is probably not that far off.
0: Yep. All right. So before we get uh uh, into the kind of nitty gritty for this for this company, I want to just provide some context, uh, some background for this business. So, it's a huge retail operation. Um, they have about t- uh, 2,150 locations spread across uh, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Uh, the US is not surprisingly the most important. It makes up over 90% of the company's top line. And the typical Lowe's is a pretty big store. They average about 150,000 square feet when you include both the indoor and outdoor departments and areas. And the the company employs over 300,000 people, so big, big operation. Um, and listeners, I think, if you're looking at the home home improvement uh, sector within retail, you have to be aware of some of the backdrop for this industry, um, because the home improvement retailers have been able to fight off e-commerce thanks. To their kind of highly specialized products, often bulky products they carry, even in Amazon is going to have a tough time fighting with Lowe's or Home Depot on things like lumber sales, or when you need that specific size piece of hardware, for example. Um, people want to be in the store to be able to to handle that kind of see how it fits with the other parts of their project, and that's uh, allowed these brick and mortar retailers to remain uh, pretty resilient. And another important thing to keep know about this business is how the company how the companies classify their customers, too. Um, Because you have your everyday homeowners who get divided up further among the do-it-yourself crowd and the do-it-for-me customers, (laughs) and they target them very differently. And then you have the professionals like contractors and repairmen who also have their own set of needs and they get targeted differently as well by management. And the last thing uh, I'll mention in terms of backdrop is when you have two major chains competing in North America, and they both already have thousands of locations built out, and the market's largely saturated. Both Lowe's and Home Depot right now are focused at the moment on optimizing their current store base and the performance in their current store base, rather than expanding their footprints very significantly.
1: Yeah, Lowe's is only opening about 10 stores a year. And Mm -hmm. that amount is really like communities that are newly developed. It's not moving into existing areas. What their big focus on, and it's for anyone who's shopped in one of these in in a Lowe's, this is a big change, is in the last year they've seen the amount of closes go down, meaning I walk into the store with an intent to buy something and I don't buy it. So there's a massive training effort underway at Lowe's where the goal is to have better customer service, to make sure that if me, someone who knows absolutely nothing about home improvement, walks in and says, my sink is leaking. Someone can actually help me get what I need. Not have that sort of condescending, you know, we mostly serve do-it-yourselfers and experts attitudes. So they're really rebuilding. Uh, They train 17,000 backline workers to be able to step in when times are busy. Meaning, a guy's job might be shelving or logistics, but when the line at the paint counter gets too long, he's now trained to mix paint or help a customer. So they're really putting a focus on sort of. Doing a better job because I think they realize that Amazon can compete on some of this stuff if you don't deliver a good experience.
0: Yep. So uh, the company reported their uh, fiscal 2018 first quarter yesterday, right? Very recently. And uh, I was going through through the transcript, looking at the press release, some of the um, kind of the headline numbers there. Uh, Comps were up uh, only about 0.6%. Revenue growth, a little bit better than that, but there's still. not where management wants
1: it to be. It, it's a little bit uh, deceiving. So, a few weeks ago, uh, they actually put out uh, a comment, a warning, saying that seasonality, uh, it was cold in the Northeast yes. longer. So, a big part of their business in the spring season is gardening. They actually had a huge drop in sales under $50, and that's people who come in and they're buying a small amount of stuff for for their home garden, but it's a huge volume of customers. We talked about seasonality. In some businesses, if the season doesn't start on time, in the ski business, if it doesn't snow, you can't make up days in December in July. yes. In the gardening business, someone is not going to say, well, now I'm not having a garden. It started two weeks later. Yes. So, they will catch up these sales. And they're actually predicting that they will make them up in the next quarter and say that so far, they're already trending well ahead.
0: Yeah, but this is actually one business. Seasonality comes up a lot in uh, our discussions of other companies in different sectors, um, especially for retailers. But this is a business where I actually take any... Uh, quote-unquote excuses that they make around seasonal pretty seriously, just because obviously the summer months are by far their busiest, and then the winter months are also their
1: their weakest. And if you look through the history of the company, sales shift around based on when the winter ends. Mm-hmm. I mean, as simple as, let's say you're putting a fence in at, at your house. You cannot put a fence in when the ground is frozen. Sure, So, you're not going to go buy fence posts and all that, but you're still going to put the fence in. So, This is a case where yes, uh, comp sales were a little bit weak. Overall sales were up about three percent, which is based on higher tickets. Uh, Traffic was actually a little bit down, but that should all even out over the course of a year. Sure.
0: Okay. So uh, something else that they announced, uh, or that they kind of up uh, updated with the latest earnings. Full year twenty eighteen guidance. Just uh, so listeners have an idea of what the company envisions for the remainder of the year, uh, they see revenue up five percent, uh, comparable sales up three point five percent, and then their operating margin down forty basis points. Uh, we'll get to the profitability operating margin part in a second. But I look at those two numbers and I think to myself, that's pretty darn good for a brick and mortar <laughs> retailer. Like that's quite enviable. I think a lot of other uh, a lot of brick and mortar businesses would look at that and and. Be quite pleased if they were able to deliver numbers like that. Yeah,
1: especially because it's a brick and mortar retailer. That I mean, they have websites, and Home Depot and Lowe's obviously both have websites, mm-hmm. but they're not great. And Lowe's is putting in an effort to improve that. Um, and one of the functions is building up their back channels so they can so they can handle some of the different you know, capabilities of ordering and in-stock and that type of stuff. But for a chain that's doing 95% of its store sales in the store, yes. a 3.5% increase is incredible.
0: Yes. Uh, so, this uh, is a good uh, time for us to transition to what you mentioned in terms of uh the investments or and the initiatives that they're pushing with more sales associates on the floor, uh, better customer service, uh, more infrastructure for their online business because of the growth they're seeing there. Um, I want to touch on six areas that management uh, mentioned, uh, I believe, during their fourth quarter call. So earlier this year, um, and these are areas that they believe are really important. To their long-term growth. So first, they want to get to know customers better, including their plans and needs, and they want to increase the use of data collection and analytics. Home Depot's already really strong with that. And I think they're kind of realizing, okay, this is something we need to be better in. Second, they want to invest more in the technology to greater personalize their marketing and to also improve their service in the store. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. Third, they want to also invest in the infrastructure for online delivery and in-store pickup. And they're also opening a new fulfillment center, and pushing a few other initiatives around that. Fourth, they want to try and stand out from the competition with some strategic brand partnerships with big names like craftsmen uh, to uh, bring customers in the door. Uh, fifth, they want to better serve their professional customers and then develop their store employees uh, to have more of the skills to serve this customer base, maybe become professional contractors themselves. So that's um, obviously a big part of their focus, given how important That uh, specific segment of customers is, and then last thing they want to grow the do it for me segment with things like services, so installations, in home sales, and project specialists. And I think with those six uh, initiatives that management has specifically called out, there are some really important themes and. Some of this came up earlier in our discussion in terms of the backdrop of the sector, some of the competitive dynamics. But for example, you know, omnichannel is always a big thing that comes up when you talk about a business
1: like this. It's a significant challenge, though. Mm-hmm. So if you look at you know, JCPenney or Target, they're not shipping two by fours, you know, yeah. the, or 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 ladders or <laughs> things sure. that are generally. So in some ways, you have to build a different kind of system. You know, these if you order from Lowe's as a contractor, you can get a delivery. And, you know, it's a truck. It's a dedicated Lowe's truck. Job site going. delivery, yeah. Yeah. So you have to figure out how to have the right quantities of stuff and how to incentivize either that they pick it up or that they deliver it and to make these things efficient. You can't, you know, just use the post office or FedEx the way other companies can. The other thing is on the on the customer service side, they they talked a lot about centralizing some of the non-customer-facing pieces of this. So I went to Lowe's to get a quote on redoing a bathroom at our, at our other house. And it took the guy two hours to put all this stuff. And I was sitting there and it was very uncomfortable. Sure. Now the person meets with you, figures out what you want, and then a centralized quoting office does the quote. That allows the person in the store to see more people. Not so, spend two
0: hours right there. Right. Worrying so about it.
1: I get my quote 45 minutes later in an email, the same way I do from this guy, but he doesn't have to do all the specs while I'm sitting there while he's not helping other people. So it's that kind of sort of smart, you know, back end functionality. More efficient, yeah. Yeah. That and it's and they've really, for the first time in the past year, and I said this a little bit before, but put a focus on the customer. You know, if people are walking out. That if if they if I need a sink and I walk out and I didn't buy a sink I'm either leaving Lowe's and going to Home Depot or I'm going to a local hardware store or I'm going online. So you have to capture that customer and sometimes that just putting a body in front of them. It's not easy in in Home Depot or Lowe's to get a person to pay attention to you sometimes. So they're really putting a renewed focus on that.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, I will end on the kind of oni channel discussion uh, with uh, online sales growth for Lowe's. Twenty seventeen was twenty seven percent. Pretty strong, and it came in at about 20% for the latest quarter, I believe. And so, uh, you mentioned online makes about 5% of their overall top line now, um, and that trails Home Depot. I think Home Depot is their online penetration's over 7%, but that gap has narrowed quite a bit in the past few years. And another uh, important item. From those six initiatives that they talked about, uh, I think is also in terms of the marketing, the personalization of services. So, you know, for example, Lowe's wants to offer more services to the do-it-for-me segment, and they also want to up, uh, really focus on that professionals' business. And this is a big one. Uh, Home Depot has noted before that professionals make up just three percent of their customer base, but they contribute forty percent of revenue. That's huge. And uh, Lowe's again is kind of is trailing in that. Uh, in terms of their professional segment, uh, only making about 30% of sales, so that's something they again want to close, narrow the gap on, because uh, these are customers who are spending thousands and thousands of dollars with. These stores every year. It's very important for them to, uh, you know, connect with them better and make sure they meet their needs. And then on the marketing side, I will also mentioned the Milo's platform. Uh, so this is another opportunity for increased personalization, better customer loyalty. Management has said in the past that Milo's members, so their loyalty program, they spend about 35% more than non-members, and they added 4.5 million Milo's customers last year. So again, uh, I think another important, uh, more progress that they're making on that front. And so, right now, we have a kind of a picture that we're fleshing out here with the current state of the Lowe's business and what priorities Mr. Allison will have on his plate as he takes on the CEO role. So, uh, we have a few more minutes here. Uh, In terms of kind of big picture takeaway, how bullish are you for the company? And do you think that these
1: various investments that they're making, these priorities that they've set out, do you think it's enough? So... My opinion on Lowe's changed very much in the last few quarters. Okay. Because, you know, I I have a background, my family's in the ladder and scaffolding business. So I I know, you know, some aspect of the contractor world. Sure. But I am not handy, as has come up multiple times. (laughs) And I find shopping at Lowe's or Home Depot torturous. You cannot get someone to pay attention to you. If you don't know what you're talking about, there's no sympathy. So to read for the past year that they're addressing the customer on all different levels, everyone from the the me to the contractor who knows exactly what he wants, and they don't necessarily have it. So the fact that they're putting that in and then they brought in a customer-friendly CEO, Yes, that takes this from a company that I believed in their financials, To a company I actually like. (laughs) And And more of the story overall. Yeah. I I think when when you acknowledge because the history of Home Depot and Lowe's was that they'd come into a market, the local hardware store would go out of business, but the owner and the employees would go work at Home Depot or Lowe's. So you'd get sort of that expertise. They've really gotten away from that, from that sort of, you know, hand holding customer service. So now, hopefully as they implement these things, they're gonna be able to serve me, but they're also gonna be able to serve the contractor that is smart enough to know that if Lowe's doesn't offer him a good price on materials or renting scaffolding he knows where to go he knows the you know the little professional guy who can handle that so to address those things very specifically that's a huge market they can open up both on the you know the middle was fine the, the handy guy Lowe's was a candy store was a t- but the the contractor who could deal on the professional side and the the guy who's trying to just do some little home project who knows nothing those are areas that Ellison's going to address, and it makes me feel a lot better about the company, sure yeah. in my
0: shoes, you know I didn't follow lowe's as closely in the past um uh and reading about this business again, you know, we talked about some of those kind of headline numbers and how strong that is again for this kind of business. Um, but I feel like if you are considering an investment in Lowe's, the ultimate question is: Do I want shares of Lowe's or do I want shares of Home Depot? It's, there's this <laughs> inevitable comparison between the two companies, and. There is there are some really important differences to keep in mind. So Lowe's is valued at about seventeen times forward earnings, and Home Depot has a premium to that, where they trade at almost uh, twenty times forward earnings. So with that three turn kind of difference in terms of the PE ratio, you are getting in Home Depot stronger, more consistent revenue growth, uh, stronger comps growth you're getting stronger operating margins. So on lows, I think it's around 9% uh, for trailing 12 months. For Home Depot, it's closer to 14%, 15%. And that's the management's kind of long-term target. And on the low side, in terms of the, the margins, their profitability. We're expecting to see that go down, at least for this year and maybe next year, given some of these investments that they're making. And then, even the Lowe's is the dividend aristocrat. I think they've increased their dividend every year for 56 consecutive years. Really impressive. Home Depot pays a higher dividend, about 2.4% yield versus about 2% for Lowe's. So, there's all this constant comparison you have to make if you're looking. Like, I'm going to buy one of these home improvement brick and mortar retailers. You know The sector is doing really, really well uh, compared to the broad market. Retailers in general, Role, but picking
1: which one, it, 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 you can't help but make this comparison. One, you don't have to pick one. You can That's in, fair. You could invest in both of them. And I think there's also some added opportunity out there for these companies. If you look at the shakedown in retail, that if you're a surviving brick-and-mortar chain, which obviously these are going to be surviving chains, they're also they're not dependent on mall traffic. They're standalone locations in, in most cases. Yep. As you see Sears go out, <laughs> appliances are going to be a growth area. That's a major category, and it's one that consumers have shown over and over again. They want to see and touch it. Yes. No one is buying a refrigerator, well, not no one, but almost no one is buying a refrigerator just based on a website. So as you see the rest of the retail shakeout, um, you know, Sam's Club closing locations is going to kick some sales to Home, De- to Home Depot and Lowe's. The reality is it's going to come down to marketing. How often is the Lowe's next to the Home Depot? There's really no reason why you couldn't go to either one, and I do like what Lowe's is saying about how they're going to sort of reconsider their targeted marketing. Not that I'm sure Home Depot is addressing it as well. Sure. But Lowe's does have a bit of the the, the higher end brand. You know, it's a bit of a target Walmart situation. They both kind of do the same thing, but Lowe's has a little more polish, which might help them as they sort of refine how they reach customers.
0: Sure. Yeah. And- I think you have a company in Home Depot that is firing on all cylinders, doing incredibly well. Um, again, really popular in the kind of uh, full community, and then on, with, on the low side, you, you know, a, a bit trading at a bit of a discount. Maybe you see more of an upside there as a result, if you believe in these initiatives that they're investing in, which I do think are the right areas, uh, as we've discussed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd be concerned. Over the next six months to see what happens with the leadership team. Yes, you know wh- what they've talked about is that that Ellison's going to come in. He's going to review the plans and you know put his own touch on sure. it. Sure. Um, sometimes that means everyone leaves, <laughs> uh, which is not great if you're in the middle of a sort of reinvigoration plan. So hopefully Ellison comes in and he plays nicely with others. And he can sort of add his finesse to what already seems like a solid plan. This doesn't seem like a case where the previous CEO was pushed out. It does seem like a legitimate retirement. Um, so, I'm relatively hopeful. But if I was going to buy stock today, I'd probably wait until Ellison has his first earnings call. And actually, you know, make sure that he's going to continue some of these things.
0: And and you let, and essentially, if you to make sure that you agree with the direction he chooses, whether that's, you know what, I like this plan, let's stick with it. And frankly, it, I think it reflects a lot of the changes in the focuses that he's had at JC Penny as well. Yeah, so it's and, not like they're radically different I, views. I think
1: he's been picked because he fits this plan. Mm-hmm. And I will point out that I'm very bullish on JC Penny, even though I acknowledge that they're on a tightrope for survival. Sure. I do think he's made mostly the right moves there. And at a well-capitalized company, he should really be able to make an impact quickly.
0: All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, This is, again, two companies and. Lowe's in particular, one that we haven't uh, really covered before on this segment of Industry Focus. I'm glad we dug into it a little bit, and we'll definitely follow this rivalry in, in, in the uh, succession plan with Ellison uh, in the coming months. But thanks for coming in, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Fools, for listening. People in the program may own companies discussing the show. The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program.
1: Fool on.